Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. How's your week been? Hard as fuck, compared yeah. to some of us. Fucking <laughs> doing two people's jobs. I mean, uh, more importantly, how's your easy as fuck week been? Well, it sounds a little bit like you're a bit bitter there, Ian. Well, I can't be bitter because you covered for me and had to do two people's jobs uh, the other week. So uh, what goes around comes around. But um, it sure is uh, a tough ask doing two people's jobs. So, yeah, it's not been a uh, a, a perfect week. Loads of work done. Um, The only thing I would say is um, when we come on inevitably to one of my favourite days of the year of uh, transfer day and obviously at closing, we're doing this today. Uh, I've been so busy, I didn't get a lunch break and I didn't see any transfers today. So whilst I've made a, a note of some pretty uh, significant ones that have been announced before today, I'm going to have to be led by you if there were any important ones that have gone through today because I haven't had a chance to see. Excuses, excuses, excuses. It's not good enough, Ian. It's not good enough. But it is transfer deadline day, which is uh, weird. We should have done a live stream of it. Got all four of us fans to listen in. Uh, we could have done. I, mean, I don't know. What's the difference between a live stream and our stream? that People can comment and join in while we're talking. Yeah, put like, you curly hair twat, what are you doing? Yeah, that, like would, that, that doesn't sound like a clever idea, does it to me? <laughs> uh, given the cunts that there are in the world and that would uh, probably take great enjoyment in uh, stepping in and being arseholes. So, uh, yeah, I'd shoot that idea down. Never mind. We'll, we'll put it to... Uh, a different time, maybe. Maybe a Christmas live stream when we're th- absolutely off his head drinking. Um, obviously, that can all be something that someone looks forward to. And all um, that would extend into is people abusing each other. Because the moment if I'm out a few beers at Christmas and someone starts being like, you fucking bold bastard, I'd be like, it's just going to be descending to uh, argument central and the uh, shithole garbage fire like <laughs> Twitter is, I would say. So, yeah, but maybe we'll give it a go. Why not? Yeah, I'm only joking. I'm definitely not doing that. I get abused enough by you. I don't want to get abused by random strangers on the internet as well. Um, UFC Singapore then, we'll start with. Um, it seems, I'll be honest, like this week has had loads of stuff happen since the last podcast that we've done. Uh, UFC Singapore, of course, was last Saturday. We had both not really taken into account the time difference and when it would actually be. Woke up, didn't we, on oh, Saturday morning. I put on BT Sport and I'm like, hang on a minute. Looks like UFC Singapore sent you a text, and it was it was a full event, wasn't it? About ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I mean jackpot for me. I mean, uh, I can't remember. I think the missus was at work, so I had uh, a quiet day. And uh, yeah, you texted me, and I was like, right, jackpot. There's three hours of fighting that I wasn't expecting. So um, pretty much watched the majority of the card. Uh, to be honest with you, um, started with a fight, and then it ended with you in tears. I never said tears. I said it was a bit emotional. Uh, but um, right. I mean, we, we haven't we haven't gone through the full uh, card because there'd be too many, and particularly with all the other goings on this week, I feel like we're probably going to run on a long one here anyway. But should we start from the top then, in terms of work our way down the card, start with the main event and work down? Yeah, of course, it was the uh, Korean Zombie and Max Holloway. Um, good fight, but it went exactly as we expected, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, again, if we go into a little bit more detail, uh, I got in round one, come straight out, as you'd expect, particularly with the uh, the Korean zombie, the man never takes a backward step. Uh, You know, there's not 
probably any more enjoyable fighters to watch in the UFC, Mark, rather than, than Gagey. Uh, both swinging for the fences. Um, and ultimately, I thought it was a very close round. I did give it 9-10 to Holloway, but um, definitely uh, the Korean zombie had moments where he hit him and a couple of times he looked rocked. And Holloway rarely gets rocks. But yeah, it was a close round, but Holloway for me. Yeah, I had it 10-9 Holloway. Interestingly, did you see the judges' scorecards? Obviously, they were irrelevant in the end, but did you see anything to uh, do I did with not. The... Why did yeah, they so... give it to the Korean zombie? One of them did, yeah. So Ben Cartledge, I think it was, uh, was one of the judges, and he gave it to um, Korean Zombie. It was definitely a close round, as you say. They they were both going for it, but I thought, as you say, it was relatively clear that it was a 10-9 for, for Holloway for me. Uh, second round, uh, Holloway comes out quite quickly and drops uh, the Korean Zombie, um, tries to move to mount with him and, and submit him with a head and arm choke, which looked pretty tight for a moment. And you're thinking to yourself, this could be it. But something like a head and arm choke is super draining on your arms. And if you try and squeeze that, you know, you talk a minute, minute and a half, that is going to absolutely gas your arms out. So Holloway ended up letting that go. Uh, and again, it got back to a kind of relatively uh, slugfest again, Got to be honest, 10-9, Holloway for me. I'm going to ask you whether you give it as a 10-9 or, or something more severe, because, again, one of the judges for this gave it as a 10-8 round. No, I mean, I don't. I th- he dropped him once, though, didn't he? I don't think he dropped him more than once. Uh, he was in real trouble with that, that head and arm choke, but I feel like Holloway, being ever the, the, the pro he is, knew he could possibly gas himself out. And even though it was pretty tight, he was going to have to squeeze for a long time to probably get the choke. So I, I, I thought, given the way that he was he was, he was, was tooling him up on the feet, that was probably the sensible decision for Holloway. But yeah, I wouldn't say it was a 10-8. No, I thought it was a 10-9. I did think it was quite interesting, as with the first round being given to uh, Korean Zombie by one of the judges. I thought a 10-8 round were a little bit over the top. Um, and then you had round three, which was, uh, you know, Korean zombie comes out of the blocks like a train, explodes, couple of big shots, really rocks uh, Holloway. And Holloway, for a moment, actually looked in trouble. But then, boom, one huge right-hand counter from him, bang, face plants him, over. Yeah, um, as expected, really. It was one of those where... It's always sad to see someone go out on the sword and then obviously ultimately what came after that. Out of curiosity, did you see any rumours or anything to stay or to suggest that the Korean zombie were going to retire after this? Yeah, he had said he was. it was in his mind. He hadn't, he hadn't done like a Frankie Edgar and say, I definitely will. But he said he'd been thinking about it and I think he kind of, to the effect, said it would depend on the result. So if he came out and won, I get the feeling he probably would have continued. But I think the loss just confirmed it. Um, But I don't remember probably like a more emotional, as I say, I didn't cry, but I thought it was very emotional. The love that he was getting from the fans. They play that. uh, Obviously, that is the song Zombie by the Cranberries that he always comes out to has a kind of eeriness to it. It's not not. Uh, particularly amping up or, you know, positive, like a lot of uh, songs that people come out to it as a, a slight weirdness to it. And obviously he's crying, he's crying with his coaches. You've got the whole crowd clapping him and singing the song um, just to kind of reconfirm what a, 
I mean, he, he won't. He's one of those that you taught me the saying. I think it was in football, in terms of on the streets. He he, he won't be remembered as a legend in the UFC for for his record or his achievements. But anybody who's a real fan of the sport will always remember the way that he fought, the commitment he had. He never was in a boring fight, never took a backward step, and. Uh, always enjoyable to watch. Um, I think it's a good decision, if I'm honest with you, for him to retire his age, even though he's relatively young, uh, because he's taken plenty of damage uh, in his time. And he was also one that, because he's South Korean, he very unfortunately lost two years of his career earlier in it to the military service that all South Korean um, lads are subject to, aren't they? So yeah. I don't know what ages they are. So again, you've got to wonder um, when someone loses that two-year career, particularly when they're young and in their prime, what more he could have done in the sport if that hadn't been taken away from him. But lovely fighter uh, will be remembered very fondly, I'm sure, by the majority of, of of hardcore fans. Yeah, definitely. And he's always one that I would, obviously never again, but would look forward to seeing on a PPV. Uh, I think he only had... Two in his, his career, two pay-per-views, um, or headlining the pay-per-views in his career, which seems a little bit on the smaller side for someone of his ilk. And as I say, I've always been happy to watch him. He's always entertaining, win, lose, or draw. Um, do you know, just on the, the side note, what Zombie by the Cranberries was actually written about? I have some weird feeling in the back of my mind that I do, but I couldn't tell you. So go and elaborate. Because it's a, a protest song, isn't it? So it's obviously they're an Irish band, um, and it was from the the Troubles in um, God, sixties, uh, something like that, or seventies, where two young lads had died in um, some bombings, and it were bombings in London, and um, yeah, so it was basically a protest song about that. But it's got to be better than their other most famous song, Do You Have to Let It Linger, which was surely <laughs> about a really bad fart, I've always thought. Like, do you know what I mean? The word in Do You Have to Let It Linger can surely not, that must have been what they were talking about with that one. But um, yeah, it was always his song. Obviously, it had his name in it, The Korean Zombie. But yeah, um, we wish him the best in whatever he does going forward. Um, I imagine he he could easily, because of his uh, reputation within the UFC, become some kind of ambassadorial role. Uh, I don't think trainer in, maybe could definitely be back in in Singapore. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't go to One FC and do something like commentary there, because obviously the one thing I would say is English his English isn't great, so it'd be hard for him to break into the sort of broadcasting for the UFC. Whereas obviously Asian-based promotion um, one, um, he could easily feature in the sort of color commentator, the Joe Rogan, the John Anik type of role over there. So um, I'm sure he'll stay within the sport. I would have thought, but back back, uh, you know, in in Asia and, and South Korea would be my thoughts. Never won a title, did he? In the UFC, he did not. I don't no, even think he sure. fought for the title, if I'm honest with you. I don't, or if he did, it was over only an interim. He did. I, I'm sure he fought uh, Volk, didn't he? Uh, uh, I'd have to let you do your quick Googling on it. I'm not sure he ever did, but... Um... 273. It, well, he definitely fought Volk, didn't he? And Volk was the champion at 273. 
it maybe must have done and my mistake but um that presumably would be you said he only uh headlined two pay-per-views that must that have been one, one of them, them then but the other um, being against uh alda in ufc 163 it's not too bad fucking headliners to be in though against uh you know <laughs> two of argu- arguably easily the two best featherweights of all time probably so uh, uh yeah he fought the best again it was another one of those guys who never shied away from a fight you know beat the majority of the people just fell to the uh, the elite, really. Holloway, there's no certainly no uh, shame in losing to Volk, Aldo, or um, Holloway. Holloway, yeah. Uh, and best wishes uh, to him, whatever he does going forward, whether that is in coaching, whether that's in commentary, whatever. He'd, but as I say, one of my favourite fighters to watch and um, hope he has a long career doing whatever else it is. Obviously, significantly safer than getting your head kicked in for a, a day-to-day basis. Did you watch the Anthony Smith Ryan Span fight? The co main, I did. Co main. What, what did you Absolute think? Absolute fucking robbery for me. When we talk about robberies and in terms of the next time that that term comes up, I thought Ryan Span that, uh, won that fight very, very easily and was shocked that Anthony Smith got that. Uh, result. I didn't look at the, the judges' scorecards. I've got to be honest. You, 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 you tend to do your more in-depth research than me on that. But for me, whilst it was close, Span easily won rounds two and three. Caused an absolutely huge uh, hematoma below Anthony Smith's eye. Did considerably more damage. I did give Smith the first round, but Span easily the second and third. And I, I was astounded when they announced that uh, Smith had won. I think even Smith was astounded, if I'm honest. From, you could tell by his face. face. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. He, he he didn't expect to win that fight. He so I've got the scorecards in front of me. So you're giving Smith the first round, I'm guessing, and giving Span the second two. So the third yeah. and the second. Yeah. Um so Smith won the first. Uh Ryan Span won the second on all three. Uh, for the third, two of them gave it as 10-9 to Smith and then one of them gave it 10-9 to Span. So not far off for it, really. So it's not unanimous, it's split decision. So I could see exactly where you're coming from and it obviously all does depend on that last round. I think the other two rounds are fairly obvious and, and cut and dry. Last one's a little bit more contentious. I personally would have given it to Span. Yeah, as you say, I, I, I wasn't even contentious for me. I thought Span did the b- bigger damage, landed the bigger hits, had uh, was more on the front foot. Um, yeah, just uh, about as close again. Um, one of the biggest or shocking, most shocking decisions we've had since the last time we talked about a robbery. But um, Erin uh, Blatchfield powers on in her division and uh, looks surely set for a title fight uh, after six straight wins and uh, called for it after her win, didn't she? She's uh flyweight, isn't she? Blanchfield. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, she does look pretty much on a roll. Um, whether it's going to take her to the, the summit or not, I'm not entirely certain, but you won't bet she's against She's ranked it. number two now. So she's ranked number two. So you've only got above a uh, bullet, uh, Valentina Shevchenko, obviously one of my favourite female fighters now, Nunes, has uh, retired that I often talk about. And you've got Alexa Grasso, Grasso sorry, as the, the champion. So um, that would definitely look like uh, potential. Uh, we'll come on to UFC Paris because uh, we've got the number three ranked fighter, 
fighting on that and we'll talk about that and that might have implications and you could easily see maybe the winner of the fight will come on to discuss against Blanchfield as a title eliminator it wouldn't surprise me yeah and like I say you couldn't back it well you wouldn't personally back against it because of the role that Blanchfield's on and I think it'll be quite an interesting title fight when or if and when we, we do eventually get that um, which way would you see it going? Uh, Depends who she got and what happened first, whether she gets an immediate title fight or they put Shevchenko in against Grasso again for a rematch. But um, I think she's still a bit young, a little bit green behind the ears for me. She exposes herself to dangerous moments because of her youth, but she's very young. She's got a lot of potential. She's probably got the most potential of any uh, current female on the UFC roster I could see. But Personally, I could see her losing um, the first title fight she might have, but it being one of those that she learns a lot from it, comes back, and I would have little, very little doubt that at some point in her career she'll be a champ. Any other fights worth mentioning? Um, I, I thought the Billy Goff and, uh, again, we've got a bunch of this, uh, is it Yusaku Kinoshita, I believe it was? Um, that were going only one way, and then Goff pulls out an absolute disgusting body shot to put him down. He immediately felt it. I felt it watching it. It's one of those ones that hurt watching, didn't it? Absolutely yeah. brutal. Just folded him immediately. Like, And just shows you the underrated nature of body shots. Uh, I mean, I always go back to when you talk about body shots, uh, Stipe Cormier. I think it was yeah. the second fight there. Yeah. And um, Stipe must have dug him with four or five absolute rib breakers to the body. And Cormier just couldn't continue. And they talk about it. If you get lucky enough, not only body shots are they bad enough in itself, but if you catch that right and you get a liver shot in there as well, bang, it's over. Good night, switches the lights off. But yeah, there was uh, definitely some good scraps on there, but we could be here forever uh, if we were going to talk about all of the card, I would say. Yeah, I was going to say the, the card just kept going, didn't it? Um, but good card, good enough, for especially at that time on a, a morning. I could happily do that every Saturday. Absolutely. And I mean, just while we're talking about uh, female uh, MMA, I didn't know if you saw this one, but um, their rumours suddenly surfaced out of nowhere this week of uh, Ronda Rousey returning to the UFC for UFC 300. Again, we keep keep talking about the, the big centennial cards, but it was immediately shot down by Dana. And uh, he said, no, absolutely no chance. And I have to be honest, I think that would be a horrendous decision by Rousey if she did do that. She's been doing fake wrestling for however long now. She comes back in against someone, they are going to kick her head in. So I actually feel glad that Dana, for her own health, has shot that one down and said, nah. It'd be interesting, though, just thinking about it, because I don't know if she is still at WWE. I don't know if she's left now or... Um, if she's taken some time out, because I know that she she took some time out to be a parent, didn't she? She she had either one or two kids. I know she took a bit of time off to to have some children, and she now, if I'm not mistaken, she like lives on a farm with another former UFC fighter called Travis Brown. And I think now they're big on this fucking farm life, raising their own veg and all that type of fucking hippie style bullshit. <laughs> But uh, which makes me feel she's even less prepared to get back into the world of professional cage fighting. But yeah, I was pleased, if I'm honest, Dana shot her down. 
And I don't even think she's that much of a star name anymore. I don't think it would add much to it. She's been out too long. The newer fans that have come, I don't think would give a shit about her. So I don't, I wouldn't see any benefit at all for the UFC having her. They'd be far better trying to get Nunes to come out of retirement uh, to put her on if they were going to go for bringing out a retired female fighter. The only thing I'd say about getting Ronda Rousey in, if you did get her in, and let's say she became the champion, and if she is still at WWE, you could get a little bit of cross-promotional um, advertisement for your brand. And not that the UFC really needs it, but obviously the size of uh, WWE as it is at the moment, if she's walking down ring with the uh, UFC championship round of waist, then a little bit more. And obviously they could do a little bit of a storyline there. I don't think it happened because I don't think she's anywhere near good enough to be a, a champion anymore. And as you say, it's been such a significant amount of time since she was last in the, the octagon. But possibility, maybe, Dana, businessman? Yeah, here we see. I think the only thing I'd say that does more, which Dana never likes, I'd say that does more for the WWE than it does for the UFC. Because the WWE, if she goes back to fighting, she never fights again in the UFC, but she can then carry the strap down on her walk to the the wrestling ring, yeah. they get to fucking advertise her as the baddest woman in the world because she's a cage fighter. So to me, it does more for WWE than than the UFC. So don't see the benefit, if I'm honest, from the UFC's point of view from that. But I can see your angle. But nah, she'd get head kicked in anyway, wouldn't she? she let's be honest. Well, probably home head kicked her the last time. Um, I mean, I suppose if they were going to do a fight, the very obvious one to try and sell it as a big thing would be that rematch. Holly at home is on the slide, but not enough of a slide that she can't fight a woman that she beat years ago who hasn't fought for however many years. She'd get yeah. head kicked again. So I'm glad that one was shut down pretty quickly by Dana. We've got UFC Paris. So another one at an acceptable time for European and, and UK fans, especially uh, this weekend. Uh, yep. So we got, again, bit of a bullshit card, if we're honest with you. So we'll be quick on this one. We've got Cyril Garnet, number two ranked heavyweight uh, against Spivik, their number seven ranked. Uh, they've only got Garnet on the card because he's the best known French fighter. So they'd have no pulling power uh, if they didn't. Um, and um, given Garnet's out-resounding smashing by John Jones... No matter what happens here, and even if he come out and starches Spivak in the first round, I can't see him working his way back up to a, a rematch with Jones or anyone being interested in seeing that. Not until Jones disappears, and we've obviously still got that theory where he's got maybe two, three fights left him in at a push. Um, obviously, once he's gone, Gane might decide to challenge for the title again, and you might have that there, depending on obviously how long he's in the game for or how long he's got in the game. But yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm not really interested in seeing John Jones steamrolling once again, and I don't think John Jones will be interested in it either. Absolutely not. And I mean, the only other fight worth of note, because we just kind of touched base on it earlier in terms of having flyweight uh, implications, is you've got, I don't know quite how to pronounce her name, but I believe she's French, she's Firot, Firo, Firo, uh, the number two ranked uh, flyweight, uh, and she's fighting Thug Rose, who is actually weirdly also the number two ranked uh, in her division, but she's at straw rate. So she's actually dropping down a weight to fight for this one. Uh, and this is the one that I feel that could have implications that would be a de facto, the winner takes on Aaron Blanchfield for the next shot at the title. 
Only other one to mention, still hasn't been confirmed, but it looks like actually we're both wrong on this, but actually we might get Chandler McGregor being rumoured for uh, UFC 296, which is either November or December. Uh, I can't remember which. Uh, I think the it's only... the back end of November, isn't it? I think it's early because he, he tweeted a picture of it, didn't he? Yeah, Did I mean, McGregor. everything seemed to be moving towards that. They still haven't officially confirmed it, but at least it seems to be on the right path. The only thing I would say, and again, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, 296 is very close to 300, and I can't help but think they would want McGregor on 300. So I'm sure in the UFC's ideal world, he would um, beat uh, Chandler. And then maybe stick him on two, two, uh, 300 against Gagey for the bad motherfucker. That would be the one that uh, sells the sells the tickets, I would say. I think so. I think he's got a win is is a big thing. I get McGregor's draw and et cetera, et cetera. But if he loses this, he's on obviously a losing streak. And then do you really want to see him versus Gagey for the BMF? Does he deserve that title shot other than his name? No, um, Exactly, not. yeah. But... I don't know. I, I feel like it's McGregor, isn't it? So anyone else, you would say they're not going to accommodate just for one fighter. But I can 100% see in them pushing back UFC 300, doing some extra little, you know, like UFC Paris, UFC London, et cetera, et cetera, in the meantime, just to make it so there's enough time for McGregor to be ready for UFC 300. Agreed. Like and the same with Jones. Obviously, Jones yeah. is fighting, I think, 295. The same, depending on how much damage he takes uh, in that fight with Stipe, I'm sure they'll want John Jones. They're the two biggest stars by a mile. You've got to have both of them on 300. You just simply have to. Um, so you, you're right. I wouldn't be surprised to see them chuck a load of fight nights and unnumbered cards in there to string it out, to allow both of those, particularly them two, to be on it. The other one that I think over the the last most recent uh, situation that you would want to see on there as well now is thrust himself in that limelight is Sean O'Malley. I wouldn't be surprised to see his defence of his uh, newly um, won bantamweight title uh, on 300 as well. O'Malley versus Dashville, maybe? Yeah, 100%. That's the fight to make. You see, on that point, though, did you see Dana come out slamming Dashvili this week? No, no, what's he said? Uh, it's absolutely slammed him for basically saying, obviously, that which is irrelevant now, but the mindset. He said, what kind of mindset are you going to be in a fighter if you're saying, I won't fight someone, referring to the fact that he wouldn't fight Sterling, his best friend? And he absolutely yeah. came out and said, this is completely the wrong mindset. If you want to be the best of the best in the world, you fight whoever you have to fight. I I can't agree. And in fact, I actually despise this mindset. Uh, and he's clearly got a bit of beef with Dashvili for taking that quite honourable view of, I won't fight my mate. But yeah, Dana came out this week and absolutely slammed Dashvili's opinion on that, saying that he wouldn't fight uh, Sterling. I don't disagree with Dana there. I think the whole thing, Rick Flay to say it, if you want to be the best, you've got to beat the best. And I, I feel like if you're at a position where... Oh, you know, he's my mate, blah, blah, blah. He's not your mate in those 15 minutes that you're going to fight him for or 25 minutes, whatever it's going to be. So I'm kind of split because I see the point, but I think if you fight with someone and they are your mate and you're both good, there's got to be an acceptance between the two of you that your paths might cross one day. So I think there's nothing to stop you being mates, but saying, look, Daryl, one day we're mates, but 
we're number one and two ranked in the world in this weight, there's a pretty good chance one day we might have to throw down. And, you know, we can do that as friends. We can put it aside for 25 minutes and we can be mates after. But I'm going to take your fucking head off uh, if I have to to win the world title. So I I can see both sides. But, yeah, I agree. I agree with Dana as well, if I'm honest. You just shake your hand, you shake your hands before the fight. Have a really respectable build up. Like Yeah, no smack re- talk. Really you don't have to have yeah. all that. You just have it and you just, you know, for 25 shake minutes. Shake hands at end. Yeah. Uh, and of course, let's be fair. It's not like if they're best mates, they're sparring together. They're going to be knocking twelve bells of shit out each other in sparring because that's the way it works. So it's not like it's going to be their first ever scrap. So yeah, no, no, I, I, I totally agree. I don't really understand the, the mindset, but you know, that's the, that's the view the and the view that he's taken. It's like you and your mate kickboxing. He didn't hold back, did he? He tried to break your ribs. Well, did hold back, and that was the worst thing. I only got a fucking fifty percent. If I got hundred percent, I would have fucking probably been in hospital. But yeah, yeah, similar p- principle, as it were. Yeah, thought fuck it. All right, I'm going to teach him a lesson. So uh, yeah, I agree with you. Feels like a lot has happened this week in football. We've had obviously um, the weekend fixtures. We've had Champions League draw. We've had obviously the Europa League and the Europa Conference League. You've had the start of the or the the second round, sorry, of the Carabao Cup. Lots happened this week. Where do you want to start? I was going to start with Premier League review. I mean, I've got to be honest, I, d- I hadn't done any notes on um, like the EFL Cup because that's so bullshit and it's such early stage that it doesn't bother me. But I know your boys got knocked out on penalties, which I'm sure you're yeah, delighted about. Um, I mean, the first one I want to start with, how fucking typical is that of Brighton? We're praising them exactly we like last season. Well. Yeah. We talk them up, how good they are. They're flying. And then the next, they're, they're, one minute, they're, they're absolutely destroying everyone. And then they get smashed at home by fucking West Ham, who actually moved to the top of the table on Saturday night. West Ham have started the season quite well, though. I think they might be a little bit of a, an underdog this season. They've bought well. Um, they've looked like they've, they've kept a, a few, which... Kudos is a really good sign. He'll make a real difference, and as long as he adapts quite quickly, he'll he'll be a fantastic player for them. Uh, and another one I could see moving on for another big sum of money. But you're right; they've invested the the hundred and five mil money. from Rice yeah. really, really well. But um, yeah, Brighton just absolutely destroyed, and that was them last season all over. That you know they go away to the Emirates and beat Arsenal five nil. And then they fucking lose to Forest, and they have these just freakish results. So one thing Deserby definitely needs to look at is uh, their general consistency, I would say. Well, that's the only thing that's stopping them from taking that next leap. And they got a little bit more consistency last season, didn't they, of course, because that's why they ended up in Europe. But I agree, if they could add that little bit to the game, for example, not getting hammered by Everton and essentially relegating Leeds last season, thanks for that, Brighton. Uh, but things like that, they're just so inexplicable. And then all of a sudden they go to, you know, whoever they go to next and absolutely batter them. So I'm sure they'll end up winning this week. I mean, you you can't lose at home 3-0 to West Ham. No matter how well West Ham have done and the way you're playing, you I mean, you might say a draw is a good result, but, you know, and you take it given West Ham have started well. But yeah, you can't be losing 3-0 to, to West Ham if you, you've got aspirations of kicking on uh, into Europe and carrying on what they did last season. I thought that was, um, um, yeah, very surprising. But um, moving on to a superb performance from my boys. Um, man down. Uh, uh, what are your views on the red card? I thought it was another harsh one, if I'm honest. No, it's clear red. It's last man. Can't do it. 
Well, it, it was a foul and he was the last red, but the last man. So probably technically it's a red, but it was a harsh one. I've seen other fouls worse than that, not giving a red. He was right on the box. It wasn't really close in. He still had quite a lot to do. I thought that was a harsh one. But now, and, and then now it comes out that just because Virgil fucking gave him a bit of like, what are you talking about? He's gone from facing a one-match ban to a four-match ban. <laughs> I hadn't seen that. <laughs> yeah. They said he used foul language and um, smashed about the ref. But what have I been telling you about my boy Darwin? I've been going on about it. I said about it on the podcast with Grant on the Saturday, 13 minutes, he comes on and absolutely saves the day. He's a different man than last season. Last season, he would have smashed those two fucking chances into the crowd or out of the stadium. Two super clinical chances, very, very hard. Bang, done. Game one. Couldn't He's believe it. well, but he isn't going to be as consistent as you think he is. I'm telling you now. We'll see. He's got to but... play now. He's got to play now. Now, after that, you cannot, after what he did there, play him, not play him in this week's game. He has to absolutely start over Jota. I can't Why hasn't see... he been starting? Just, I just think Klopp's been been playing him, uh, Jot, seeming to prefer Jota's uh, pre-season form, which is both very similar. They both got four goals uh, in the five games, uh, but Jota got an assist. Uh, Jota played a few more minutes. Nunez only played 45 minutes a game, but we've got tough ass this week in Villa uh, at home. But you come off the bench and make that kind of impact. You cannot not start him. So I am excited this week to see what we get with a, because he's obviously a confidence player. His confidence will be sky high after that and all the accolades. And I want to see him absolutely bully the Villa defence around, given they've lost Mings to that injury. Um, uh, and yeah, I would be shocked if he doesn't start on, uh, on Sunday. You mentioned that you thought the red card against Van Dijk was a harsh one. Did you think that Trent was extremely lucky not to have been sent off? Very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I think... but that's what I mean. That's the inconsistency like that, that, that I'll be honest. He should, I would have said his the two yellows that he should have got for the, the kicking the ball away and that were more obvious for me than a red card for Van Dyke. So we got lucky. We could have been down to nine men. Yeah. I, I just, it's one of those things and I can't understand why he did it. It's just petulance for absolutely no reason whatsoever. And as soon as that, that second potential yellow card, come, I thought he's gone here. He's absolutely definitely getting red, uh, red card. There's no question about it. And then he don't. And it's just typical Premier League refs in it. But I thought it, we did get lucky. We, de- we definitely got lucky. But the only thing I would say, I don't know if you if you watched the match or not, but when we went down to ten men, we were the better team. We actually, we I wouldn't. It would be hard to. We definitely deserved something out of the game. To to win it like we did was probably a little bit lucky, but we definitely deserved something. We were the better team uh, for the majority of the match. I'm just going to stay quiet because not a chance. I thought that you were you did well with what you were given, and it's a really difficult situation. Obviously, ten men. Silly from Van Dyke, and obviously it'd have been a significantly different game had you not gone down the ten men. But they should have finished it off. The save from Allison, um, I can't remember I'm what. We're just going to ask from uh, Almiron: Are you not going to yet? Are you still not yet come round to the fact that he's the best goalie in the world? What a fucking save that was! That well, was unbelievable, incredible, save. incredible. Yeah, I, I think Emery. From... Uh, sorry, what? Um, Eddie Howe said it was the best save he'd ever seen. It was incredible. It, it, to not just stop the ball, 
get up and then power, pop exactly. it around again. It was, as you said, yeah. I'm telling you, he's the best keeper in the world. I know you keep fighting back, but that there's more and more evidence by the week goes by of how sensational a goalkeeper he is. It was very good, but not just that though. You had um, Gordon had a really good chance where he just kicks it straight at Allison. Should have scored that. Um, the bit where Harvey Barnes and Wilson got through, and then Barnes didn't shoot or pass it, and I was just like, "You're an absolute idiot." And then obviously that happens very very shortly after, where um, your boy comes on Darwin and obviously changes the game. So just it's fine fine margins, and that's I think what's going to stop Newcastle from getting to that very top tier. I get that they're in the Champions League. You can't miss chances like that against a team as good and as clinical as Liverpool can be, especially when they're down to 10 men. You have to win that game. You have to put it to bed well in advance of Nunes even coming onto the pitch. No, no, couldn't agree with you more. It has to be. And we'll come on to the the Champions League draw. Uh, Newcastle got a nightmare draw in terms of teams, (laughs) but a very, very lucky draw, I thought, in terms of distance. Uh, We were talking about how the travelling could have an impact. But obviously all of the teams will come on to discuss who they've got uh, shortly. Um, They got quite lucky, I thought, in terms of locality that they don't have to travel that far. But yeah, nightmare draw for them in the Champions League. But equally, people were saying, oh, what a bad draw. What did they expect? Newcastle haven't been in Europe for years. They were were bottom, fourth pot. They were always going to get a difficult Fucking draw. really hard teams, a hard draw. Yeah. They could have it could have even been worse for them. So uh, it didn't surprise me at all that they got a really harsh group. They were always going to as a team coming out of the fourth pot. But um, only other couple I've got in there was um, City struggled to victory. Uh, again, the Terminator shows his human side by missing a penalty, but scores afterwards. Uh, but they required uh, Rodri to be the man to come up with and save him with a last-minute goal, didn't they? Uh, this, Good this finish. Time. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those where, obviously, I'm a Yorkshireman. I've got my rivalries. Sheffield United is one of those, especially when it's South Yorkshire. It was unbelievably hilarious to see them equalise, and you thought, I can't believe they're going to get some out of this game. Entire stadium going absolutely crazy, and I think it's within maybe a minute or two Rodri scores the winner and it's a cracking finish, but the entire stadium just went silent. And it was just one of those where if you put yourself in that position where, the same as Leeds have done it before a number of times, but you put yourself in that position where you get an equaliser against a team as good as City and you think, oh my God, we're actually going to get some. And then all of a sudden, your smile is absolutely wiped off your face within a, a minute or two. You're just like, oh, I hate football. And I can imagine exactly how they all felt. But yeah, um, it's funny good though, isn't it? It, does show, it does show you how. Man City are still human, even with that team. I know they're missing De Bruyne. You know, they do have games where they struggle to overcome smaller teams like that. And they get, you wouldn't necessarily call it lucky, but late goals. And sometimes if you look back, some of those performances, if those wins uh, actually translated to draws over the last couple of seasons, particularly the season Liverpool lost out to and by a point, we would have won the title. Uh, you know, could have been the same last year. Arsenal might have won it. So fine margins again. But um disappointing to see the scum turn it round. Couldn't believe it when I looked at that one. I was like, here we go, man, you losing 2-0 at home within four minutes. Uh, Taiwo looking like a goal machine, uh, scoring in, is it something like his, six, his last six Premier League games? It's going for a record, um, isn't it? It's like Vardy's record of him. He's, 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 you know, looking like a goal machine. 
And then I see the red card and I just feared. I was like, this is it. I know what's coming here, man. You're going to turn it round. And sadly, they did. An absolute stonewall penalty, not given to Forrest. Um, loads of dodgy refereeing decisions. What a, what a shock not, that is. A penalty not given at Old Trafford. Wow. <laughs> what a fucking surprise that is. It's just mental. I, I get it's a good result for them, but... There's only so much that surely referees are allowed to get away with. The first game that they played against Wolves, an absolute stonewall penalty. Onana comes out and punches someone in the head and nothing's given. And then we're back to exactly the same again. It's just what, I mean, everyone was raving about him. What the fuck was he doing for Tyro's goal? He's on the floor. He's, he's on the floor even before he's got there to shot. He looked, it was embarrassing goalkeeping that was. That was like, what on earth have you spent £50 million on and let De Gea go? that's the standard of keeping you're going to get week in week out i'm sure it was probably an anomaly in the grand scheme of things but that was some of the most woeful goalkeeping i've seen in a long time it would have been funny if um they've ended up obviously losing the game as a result of that because like you said it it just seems to sit on floor and then dive i didn't really understand what earth he were doing it was it was mental but um finish up just the roundup of last week's game but i had to say uh good win for your boys um, first goal for the, the your signing of the transfer window last year. So he's only gone eight, nine months without scoring. But sweet goal from Ruta, I thought. I was very impressed. Really good. And on, on paper, your team looked pretty good now with uh, Willie back in favour and in the team. I were watching this on a very legal um, stream in uh, Tavasoli's in Leeds. We went to a bottomless brunch for my mate's birthday. Uh, really good in there, by the way. I know we were going to go there for uh, work at one point and we couldn't get a book in, but the food is absolutely immaculate. It's gorgeous. And then they were really good with the, the drinks. So you had like jugs all over the table of cocktails. And then whenever they were there, you shouted them and they'd bring you a bottle of beer. So top class service. I definitely recommend that. Um, they're not paying me for that, by the way. We're not sponsored by Tavasolis. I just want to get that out there. Uh, but yeah, so we're watching it. And obviously we go 1-0 down immediately or within like 10 minutes or whatever it is. The goal's offside. It's clearly offside. It's an own goal by Rodon. He's really unlucky. And then all of a sudden, as front four, which has been claimed to be you know one of the scariest front fours that the, the championship has seen in a long while since probably uh, Wolves were in it, just absolutely start obliterating them. They were all very, very good goals. Rooters is the, the pick of the bunch. Um, obviously, Piro, who was just signed for us, scores within 19 minutes on his debut. Fantastic. Great Sinistera. Time. Yeah, Great really, time, really good. Um, Sinistera gets his, his goal. Looks really good. Still, you'll see me constantly checking my phone all the way through this because there's still no further news about what's happening with Sinistera. About three hours ago, before we started recording this, it were announced that it would go into Bournemouth on loan and big Fabrizio Africano gave the here we go. So you think, all oh, right, so it's done then. Everyone else is saying there's no deal actually in place as of yet, but he is very, very interested uh, in the move and Bournemouth really want him. Looks like a loan deal, which me and you have disagreements on whether it's good or not. But still nothing confirmed. And if he goes, I'd be very upset. But I yeah, love it... how your defining factor is some Italian twat on Twitter. Is that <laughs> you're like, oh my god, if Fabrizio says it, it must be happening. It's like that's the it's that's the merchant, Bible. It? it is, it's is that is the Twitter uh Twitter rules. But uh, the best thing about the, the victory wasn't necessarily the front four scoring, it was who it was against and the fact that it was at uh is it Portman Road still, Ipswich? Um, I believe so. 
but the last time they lost at home was November 2022. They've gone on like a ridiculous streak, obviously in a lower league, but a ridiculous streak where they've just looked unbeatable. And I think the last time they conceded four goals were back in October 2022, and they drew that game, which is is mental. But yeah, really good result, and obviously we'll see what happens next. Um, I mean, just sticking with Leeds, and we're moving on, uh, I suppose, to the transfers. Um, some good bit of business by you boys. Uh, I mean, Glenn Kamara, I think, is... A great signing, a, a very good price. Uh, but the one for me that sticks out head and shoulders is Jed Spence. Uh, it's a fantastic signing. Yeah, really, uh, really good. Um, uh, the difference that he will bring compared to Ailing for you is not even comparable. So you, you've done, considering you were a bit worried and have left it a bit late in the uh, the transfer season uh, or late in the window, you have done really well. Can't profess to know much about the Bulgarian chap that you signed from Germany, but um, nice to see Leeds make some some moves late in the week and to bolster the squad. I still think we need a left back because as it stands, there's only Junior Furpo who is a left back on our books. And obviously that walking yellow card um, is an absolute nightmare. Still injured at the moment. Sam Byram, who's been playing left back as more of an inverted role, is currently injured as well. So I think as it stands, we'll probably end up putting Shackleton there against Chef Wednesday, um, which he can play anyway. He can be slotted in regardless. It's just going to be a very attacking team, I think, uh, especially with Jed Spence on at right back. He plays like a right winger, essentially, doesn't he? And, and Piro, for me, is, in fact, I'm going to say is, is the buy of the, the transfer window in the championship. I've never used Don't that. Don't jinx it. Don't again. jinx it. Yeah. Um, but Ampadu has been my favourite purchase, this transfer window for us. I think he's been absolutely outstanding, considering he's got a lot of slack everywhere that he's gone. Uh, he didn't work out at Sheffield United, had a few Italian spells, and obviously has been relegated for the last three seasons that he's been out. But yeah, he's been fantastic. He's been our shining light, I think. I think they, the, the Spence-Piero combo is fantastic because Piero is a kind of very typical number nine, good, big lad, good, strong in the air. And like you say, Spence does like to bomb on and get crosses in. Uh, I think that will be a really prolific uh, pairing for you in terms of assisting goals, crosses coming in from the right from Spence, Piero finishing them off. I hope so, and we'll see, because I think he's going to go straight into the team. I certainly hope he's going to go straight into the team. I can't imagine Luke Aylin is going to keep his place uh, this weekend when you've got Jed Spence in the wings. Just before we go into the rest of the transfers, because we have got quite a few to go through and we'll, we'll discuss it a bit further. You mentioned about the Carabao Cup, and we won't go through all the Carabao Cup results. There, wasn't, or there weren't that many um, shocks. Um, biggest point that I wanted to raise, so obviously Leeds got knocked out by Salford, Penalties. I think we had 33 shots to their three shots and only managed to score one goal. It was one of those where you play that same game on a different night and we end up winning 5-1. Is the Carabao Cup going to get sacrificed, do you think? Or the League Cup in general going to get sacrificed? Because you see a lot of players coming out saying there's too much football, especially in the Premier League and especially European um, players, uh, those playing Champions League or Europa League. They're complaining that there's far too much. They don't want the added time that's coming with regards to the stoppage time, etc. The Carabao Cup has been won by City, God knows how many years, um, for the last, or out of the how many last so many years, they've won it, I think, what, four times? I think you won it quite recently. Are you the current holders of it? Who won it last year? Um, no, didn't City win it last year? I think we won oh, it the year shock. before. But that's the point. So City have been dominant in this competition. It's down to squad size for me. When you get championship teams 
not taking that club seriously and rotating and play, making nine changes or League One teams making nine changes, that shows you how seriously everybody thinks now. Now, City have got the squad size and the quality in that squad that they can make a full 11 changes and still probably beat the vast majority of most people's first teams. So that's ultimately how City end up winning it all the time, is they get through the early rounds just by putting out a bunch of youngsters that still smash, you know, pretty good championship teams. But I can't ever see it being just done away with, if you like, but it's 100% the bottom of the list of priorities for any Premier League championship teams in particular. Don't give a shit. I think well, people um, people don't care. It's long been called the Mickey Mouse Cup, and the cup that people want to win because of its prestige, because of its heritage, and because of what it means in English football is the FA Cup, and it always has been. The, the Carabao Cup has had so many different names. What is it? I think was it the Coca Cola Cup at one point? Worthy started off as the Milk Cup, Coca Cola Cup, the Carling Cup, the Carabao Cup. Like you say, you lose you lose track. But the only one surprising for me is whilst I agree with you, it's bullshit. There's certain teams for me that surprise. It surprises me they don't take it more seriously. Classic example: Spurs. Spurs get yeah. loads well, Spurs of shit about out, not exactly get loads of shit for not winning a trophy, a trophy that no one else gives a fuck about. Why not actually go for it? So they made nine changes against. All right, they were playing Fulham, who were a decent Premier League team and didn't make as many changes. So there's no shame in that. But that kind of mid tier of team. West Ham, Fulham, you know, Brighton that want some silverware. I find that quite strange that they don't give it a little bit more impetus than they do. Even it's earlier on in the the season. It's not like the players are fucking burnt out three games into the fucking season. Play the majority of team, maybe rotate three or four players. Um, But yeah, someone like a Spurs for me, that's a chance for them to actually win some silverware, which they're always moaning they don't. So I, I, there's, there's that kind of from 6th to 14th in the Premier League, the teams that maybe aren't going to get into Europe, but probably aren't concerned about relegation. They're the ones for me that it doesn't make any sense why they don't give it a bit of a better go. Well, this is exactly what I mean, though. So you're not going to see a... Uh, there was one outlier, and that's Swansea. So Swansea obviously beat Bradford whatever year it was, a few years back now, the fact that they were able to win it was solely because Bradford went on that unbelievable run. It'll never happen again. Or it's it's very, very unlikely to happen again. Normally, it's going to be a top six team that wins that cup. So the rest of the, the league and the rest of the lower leagues have cottoned on to that fact and just said, you know what, what is the point? Why am I going to play all these players that we've got much more important games in the actual league? Leeds, for example, are a perfect uh, example of that. We need to go up this year, ideally. We need to make sure we get top six at the very least. We can't be doing with additional games on a you know, Tuesday night or Wednesday night to go travel down to wherever we would get put against. I think, I can't remember who Salford drew. Were it Villa or Burnley would have ended up playing or someone like that. But it's just not needed. So teams like Leeds don't take it seriously. And then teams that should take it seriously, potentially like Spurs, also don't take it seriously. So other than, you know, your Man City, your Man United, potentially Liverpool, does anyone care about it? And thus leading to my first point of, I think eventually that will be one thing that will be sacrificed. If people kick off enough about too much playing time, that's the one thing that seems the easiest sacrifice. 
Yeah, uh, I, do, I just don't see him getting rid of it because it's another cup. Because I think the argument would be, look, you don't have to pay your full team. Just put out a dog shit team if you want. Put out your under-23s, put out your kids. Uh, they'll keep it because it's a means of sponsorship, you know. And you could argue it does give the lower league teams a chance at some glory because of the lack of um, seriousness with which the bigger teams take it. But... Yeah, it's a good point. And but if any anything was going to get sacrificed in terms of the number of games, it would definitely be the the Carabao Cup. One hundred percent, I'd agree with that. Uh, transfers then, and like I say, obviously it's transfer deadline day. These are still coming through, literally as we're speaking. There have been some fairly big transfers in the last few days. Um, obviously, you've kindly put a, a list together. It's not a comprehensive list. There are other ones that we've probably already covered. Um, let's start with your team. Gravenbach looks almost certain to go through. I know there were some issues with Paulinia, who was going to go from Fulham to Bayern Munich, and a lot were saying that that was the, the Gravenbach replacement. Uh, again, Big Fab, who always gets everything right, clearly, has said that it's not going to affect anything at all. This is still on. I think this is a really good move. Um, I think it's about £40 million from what I've seen. I think he'll fit in quite well. He's definitely back up and he's going to add some depth to your team, which obviously with the transfers out this summer, you've been a bit lacking. Totally agree. I mean, he's a good signing. I mean, nice, healthy profit from Munich because they only bought him for 18 million euros last year. He did have a 7.5% sell-on fee to Ajax. So they've had to give a bit of that to to them to cover it, but they made a nice profit. Very good player uh, and a very good prospect. I'm just a bit disappointed in that we didn't put the money that we've put from him and the money that we've spent on Endo and gone for a full defensive midfielder. Because as much as I like him, and I think he'll be a good squad player. I think he'll grow into the team and become more important as we go on. He's very much in the slobber's eye mould for me. Um, he's a powerful runner from midfield. He retains the ball very well. He's a very good passer, so I certainly can't complain. Uh, and um, even though we've got the dog shit of the uh, Conference uh, Cup League or whatever the shit it's called, we're going to need to make some rotations. He's going to play, and he's young, so there's plenty of time. But at the moment, the way that Slobber's eye has made the impact that he has, I don't see him taking his role, and he's definitely not good enough, I think, to play as a straight defensive mid. So... Adds to the squad depth. Very happy with the signing, and think he'll, he'll he'll grow into the role. Just as I say, I can't help but feel slightly disappointed that we didn't really get a, a better defensive mid than than Endo. Ultimately, if we'd put that money together, it's the whole um, Bellingham argument, isn't it? So uh, the amount of money that could have potentially been spent by Liverpool this summer, as evidenced by the Caicedo uh, debacle, should we say? If you then put that money together you could have probably then brought in Bellingham. Now, obviously, that depends on the player, depends on what he wants, depends on whether he does want to move to a team that didn't have Champions League football. And obviously, he's doing absolutely outstanding at Madrid, and it seems like that move has has been fantastic for him so far. But I completely agree. I feel like Endo, the way that he's come in, he looked all right, I'll be honest. Uh, He he doesn't look like a bad player whatsoever. Looks like, as you said, a bit of a stopgap potentially, and then you'll bring in someone younger in the you know next window window after. But why not just do that now? Why not build your team now 
and then have that to develop in a number of years rather than I mean the only where... the only way I could obviously you know my every know my feelings I made them very clear on the last podcast about how disappointed after all the money we spent we didn't at least try for Bellingham the only slight caveat you would make to that is even if we'd got Bellingham that doesn't deal with the fact we would have needed a defensive midfielder as well so you could have said we could have just got done what we've done in terms of got Endo and then spent the money on Bellingham, which would have definitely improved the team. Uh, totally agree. But um, yeah, decent enough signing for me. You can't definitely can't be uh, unhappy with that one. And um, as I say, I'm not sure it's been 100% confirmed, but looks pretty positive before the end of the, the, the window that that one will go through. So happy with that. Before we move on to anything other than we'll stick with Liverpool, we've got to talk about it. Mo Salah, Willie Orwater. It's rumoured that there has been a £150 million bid made to Liverpool. Now, obviously, that's, I think it's £100 million with £50 million in add-ons, which is a strange um, arrangement of a deal. And apparently some of those add-ons are, are completely unrealistic. That was outright rejected by Liverpool today. It seems that there are rumours of a £200 million bid. Now, a £200 million bid, I think, is completely something that you can't turn down. Obviously, we'll get your thoughts on it in just a second. The only reason that you would turn it down is because you've got... So as it stands now, it's half past seven. So you'd have about three and a bit hours to try and find a replacement, which seems pretty unlikely. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I still keep saying he won't go, but I would even think at Liverpool, if it was 200 straight, no add-ons and bullshit... I think that would kind of be irresistible to them and they would have to take it and you'd have to say common sense to 200 million for a 31-year-old is ridiculous. What does not make any sense is, and, and shows these fucking Saudis and morons when they're entering into the world of proper football is if they really wanted him and were prepared to pay that, they would have done it a week ago because then they would have had a far higher chance of Liverpool accepting it because Liverpool would have had a week to try and find a replacement. So I still don't think that he will go, but if he was, and certainly it's looking, uh, you know, this this 200 millions going in, I tell you now, I'm on the phone to Brighton, Matoma, we take 100 mil, 115 mil. That would be where I would be slinging my money to try and get a replacement if we had to. But I think if this had happened a week ago, I, I'll be honest with you, my, my, my view would have changed. I think we would have taken it. I think the fact that it's so late and it leaves us with so little opportunity to get a replacement, I think they would say no. I still think 200, they would say no because of the lack of replacement time. The Saudi transfer window doesn't close, is it, for another is it a week? The 7th of September, it closes for another an week. extra week. So obviously you're going to probably be peppered by bids over the next week regardless. Could you see any temptation even after the window shut? And don't get me wrong, I think it would be stupid for them to accept a bid after the deadline's closed because you then obviously can't replace them. But at the figures that we're talking about of the 200 million range, would that not be still tempting even if you can't replace him immediately? And then no, you just I, I think it's today, it's today or nothing. I think it's today or nothing and they'd have to have a chance of trying to get someone. I think the moment our window shuts, no matter how, I mean, again, maybe they might go even crazy and they go 250, in which case that, you know, you'd probably have to take it and say, We've got an amazing front five that drops to a front four until January and we have to cope. Um, but 
yeah, I, I would personally say it's today or nothing, and that's that would hinge on having some kind of replacement lined up, which I don't think we've got enough time for. So even if they went to 200, as 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 much and as crazy that sounds, I don't think it would be taken. And again, it shows the Saudis whether if they're trying to think this is a clever negotiation tactic, they're fucking idiots. They should have done, if they'd done this a week ago or even three days ago to give Liverpool the time to look at other targets and look at a, a, a sensible replacement to use that money on, we could be having a very, very different conversation. But to think on the three hours before the window shuts, they're going to put that money in and Liverpool are going to take it, given he's our best player and our stance throughout has been no way. I think it's moronic. And I think it just shows... I think it's them just being Billy Big Bulls, if I'm honest. Look how much money we've got. We're going to keep throwing it. And if I were Liverpool, I commend their stance and keep your fucking dirty oil money. Fuck you. We're keeping Mo. I get the feeling that this is now becoming inevitable that he does go to Saudi, whether it's today, whether it's in January or whether it's at the end of the season. I think it's next season. I would say next season, I think. And if if they offer, obviously it won't be something stupid then because I think he'll only have a year left on his contract. But if we got 70, 80 odd million for him next summer when he's got a year left on his contract, I, I could see that happening. And I can see then we've got plenty of time to bring in and, and look for a replacement. So I, I don't disagree with you that I think it's inevitable, but next summer would be when I would see it happening. Do you see how much they're offering per week to him? Uh, I, I didn't see that, but I saw it was 240 million over three years was what I read. Yes, it says 1.5 million a week, which is it's just ludicrous. It's just absolutely ludicrous money. So I think he will eventually do it. And if he goes next season, for example, let's say it doesn't happen, and I get the feeling that it's probably too close to the end of the English transfer window for anything to happen. And I agree with you on that basis. But if he does go next summer, you couldn't blame him, could you? Realistically, that's like... go down a legend. He's given us a good seven or eight years. You know, again, it'll be 32 at that point. We'd probably be wanting to slightly replace him. He would probably be physically on the downslide you know he's always been a pace merchant he's going to slightly lose that half a yard so yeah I certainly if they offer him that stupid kind of money next season I think I can blame him for taking it and as you say as long as we had enough time to get a backup in and make sure we're covered um I couldn't hold that one against him I'll be honest with you he'd go he'd go go, but that's the one for me like literally now if they were saying right 200 million now I'd be on the phone, 100 million for Matoma, 100 million for Cravadonna. And if you could get one of those players and a 100 million pound profit, I'd probably take it. You'd snap your hand off, surely. It'd be an absolutely unreal deal. Um, moving on, just because you mentioned it in the uh, Double Tap episode that you did with Grant this weekend. And if you haven't had a listen to that, it's well worth a, a listen. Uh, Ian got one of his friends who is uh, an Arsenal supporter on. And obviously, we tend to slay Arsenal quite often on this podcast. So it was nice to hear the the views, unbiased views of, a, of an Arsenal fan. Um, Balogun, you said, and I quote, they're asking for silly money, something like 30 to 40 million. They'll never get that. Uh, he's gone to Monaco for 35 million. Mental. And, and, and the funny thing was, obviously, if you listen to that, Grant agreed with me that um, he should get a run in the team. That you know, give him a give him a go. Um, at worst, if he if he plays over in Ketter and does and does well, his value increases. 
Um, and then I feel that they say like not only have they got him for 35 million, they've got a 17.5% sell on clause in there as well if they sell him on. So, um, very shrewd business from Arsenal on the back of one season in France. But obviously, he's going to Monaco, he's going back to France. Um, but good, one of the best bits of business in terms of money recouped, I would say, by a team in the transfer window, if I'm honest with you. I- I wonder if something had gone on behind the scenes with Balogun at Arsenal, whether he turned around and said, look, I don't want to play for you, or whether he was a bit of a bad influence, because I agree entirely. I'm not entirely sure how he's gone from doing so well in France, coming back over, you've got your main striker out injured, and Ketia never really sets the world on fire. He's all right. He's just not that next-level striker. Why wouldn't you give Balogun a go unless there's something else underlying? So I'd like to know a little bit more detail about that. I don't think we ever will. But like you say, you, you can't really complain from either side. Uh, Monaco get a very good, young, informed striker. Arsenal get a hefty amount of profit and a really good sell on close. So. Yeah, good deal. Um, I mean, a few more. These are the ones, sort of ones across Europe that I've, I've picked out as... Uh, in my opinion, anyway, some some pretty good and mentionable sign-ins. So you've got Ivan Fresnes, Fresnesda, I think his name is. Very highly rated young right-back, only 18 or 19, playing for Real Valladolid. Um, was rumoured with Barca and um, Real in the summer. Uh, you know, really, really good prospect. Very attacking fullback, look and defend. It's gone to Sporting Lisbon for 15 million euros. Um, and given his age and his, uh, you know, the prospect that he's supposed to be, that seems a real coup for them. Very good bit of business. Um, Lukaku uh, gone back to Italy to Roma on loan. Uh, apparently, the inter dressing room blocked him coming back and didn't want him coming <laughs> back, which I think comes from the fact that he actually came out and said he wanted to go to Juve, one of their biggest rivals, didn't they? So yeah. the whole dressing room were like, nah, fuck that. Um, he was actually, uh, I saw this interesting, Chelsea's biggest earner on 350 grand a week. And in order to facilitate this, they've actually got him to sign a new contract on the same length, but reduced money and then loaned him out to Roma with a for a £7 million loan fee. He's a weird one, is Lukaku, because he was hyped up so much one air. I remember him back at West Brom. Um, hyped up loads, Chelsea, it didn't work out for him. He goes to um, Italy and does really well. And then he's scrambling around for a move because he can't do well in England again. And I've never known a player be so inconsistent depending on what season it is that he's playing. His biggest fuck up for me was leaving Inter. That seemed to be the first when he went from Man U and it didn't quite work out. He had two seasons in Inter where he was on fire, didn't he? The, you seem to get a lot of these players, they go to Italy, they embrace the lifestyle, the diet. It, like, he lost a lot of weight compared to when he was at Man U, like a, back to a real physical beast of a player, a lot quicker, a lot slimmer, a lot more muscular. Uh, the laid back approach seemed to really work for him, was a goal machine. And where he fucked up was the 100, move, 100 million move pound back to Chelsea. And his career has been a fucking disaster ever since. But um, I think sometimes players are reluctant to know they're onto a good thing. And him, for me, that's where he fucked up. He should have stayed at Inter at that point there rather than coming back to Chelsea. It's the grass is always greener symbolism, isn't it, essentially? And he's obviously thought, I'm doing fantastically well. 
agents are always involved in this. I'm sure seeing a transfer fee of that ilk, there will have been some significant portion of that going to his agent. So his agent will be like, oh, it'd be a fantastic move because they're all little snaky freaks. Um, but yeah, I, I feel a bit sorry for him, but I wonder if it picks up again because under Mourinho... I feel really sorry for him on the hundreds <laughs> of millions of pounds he's made over the course of his fucking career. Yeah, I sit here. I'm, I'm sure he sits in bed and cries at night about uh, how his career's gone. But um, other one I wanted to mention: we mentioned Cravadonna, uh, Georgia, seemed to be a hotbed of um, young prospects at the moment. Not quite sure I'm going to get this guy's name right, but I think it's Mikatoza Day who is a really young, uh, highly rated stri- uh, striker, has signed from Mets in France to Ajax, absolutely tore it up last season for Mets in the uh, first division, scored something like 20-odd goals, started this season quite well with a couple of goals, and he's gone to Ajax for 16 million euros. Um, Ajax have been uh, buying up a lot of young talent across Europe, this summer, uh, they've got an incredibly uh, highly rated centre-back called, uh, from a Croatian team called Sotalo. Uh, they've got a Bosnian centre-mid called uh, Tajevic uh, from Roma. Uh, and perhaps one of the strangest moves, uh, I don't know if you would agree with this, um, they got Akpom from Middlesbrough, who was the top scorer in the championship last season as well. He's fairly inconsistent as well. He's another one is is these Akpom has clearly taken his opportunity to get his, you know, quote unquote big move because he hasn't always been consistent. He's not one of these who's gonna get you 30, 40 goals a season. He's not like a Mitrovic, for example, in the championship where you can always depend on him getting you that set amount of goals. So this move does come a little bit out of the blue. I thought he'd have gone to Premier League, if anywhere, but it, I mean it's good for Leeds because get a fairly talented player out of the league. And I mean, it probably, again, not being funny, if you're going to go somewhere and you are inconsistent, you know, the level of football in Holland isn't the greatest. It gives you a good chance to be uh, a goal machine. So, but the question is, I don't know how Ajax are currently playing at the moment, whether they're playing two up top. They've bought him, but then I would guess this this young Georgian lad's going to go in as number one. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how much he actually plays and whether he's back up or he's involved in the first team. Um, I always I always feel just on that note as well with Ajax, I always feel that they're the, the team or one of the few teams in the world where if you see them buying a young player, they're normally going to be good because their scouting network is, is very good. You look at uh, Dortmund is another example. You always take note of any young signs that they make and you think, hang on a minute, they've got an eye here. It's really funny you say that because it brings me on to my next sign in a very good segue there. Carlos Belbeda. Young French centre defensive mid from Lille to Brighton. 27 million seems to be the replacement for Calcedo. He's only 19. Obviously, exactly like you were saying, uh, if Brighton buys someone, he's no joke. They've gone out and spent a lot of money. I would take a bet that in the next two or three years, he's another £100 million player. But uh, yeah, he, yeah. exactly like you say, whenever Brighton signs someone, he make that you, you stand up these days in the last three or four seasons and take notice and think, this guy must have something in him, not only for that Brighton to go out and spend that kind of money, but their scouting network and the work they do. So uh, completely agree with you. Um, any, anyone joining those teams, it it makes you think, like this, this guy must have something in his locker. 
I always wonder why more coups aren't had against teams like Brighton. Like, for example, let's say we use you, so Liverpool. Why aren't a team of Liverpool's size throwing the weight around and thinking, hang on a minute, they seem to be getting all these gems for low cost, probably less than what we would normally spend. Let's just take their director of football and then just get his contacts. I totally agree. Not even that. Why don't we take their whole scouting network? <laughs> exactly. Let's take the director of football, all of their scouts, all of the people that work in that. I, I totally agree with you. It, it baffles me why no Premier League, someone like City, who've got money to spare and are looking to cement themselves as, you know, uh, untouchable. They could just go out and say, right, director of football, all the scouts will triple your wages, we'll do this. Totally agree with you. I have no idea why bit like the last time we had a team that was fell into that mould probably was a few years ago with Southampton. Obviously, yeah. they went through a period where, you know, Mane, Virgil, et cetera, et cetera, all the players that they got, uh, it was a similar situation. But I totally agree with you. I've never understood it myself why, you know, I wish Liverpool would do exactly that, go out and buy their whole scouting network uh, and department for, uh, so they can bring that knowledge to us. Um, better has gone to Everton from Udinese. Quite a, a big signing for them, considering they've got about four pence in the bank. I think it's a really good sign, actually, one that's gone under the radar. Um, I mean, he, he's not a 20 goals a season striker. He's quite big. He's quite mobile for a big lad. He's, he's Portuguese, but he's scored over 10 goals. I think it's like 10, 12 and 15 or something like that in Serie A in the last three seasons. And Everton looked to be really struggling and then pulled out of the win at the weekend. But uh, I think this is actually a really decent signing for them, and he'll make uh, a great difference. He looked, uh, every time I've watched a bit of Italian football and seen him play, um, he looks a player. So, yeah, I think that's really good business from Evan. I found it a little bit strange, and again, you can chime in on this, but they, they're in so much financial, or so many financial troubles how are they still making these big signings? They were trying to splash out the cash on Nonto, and obviously that's fallen through, which is, is quite delightful for a Leeds fan. Um, they have been in talks with a few others, and they're obviously selling a few players. I think they've just got rid of uh, young Tom Cannon. He's gone to the, the championship. They've got rid of um, Morpai. He's gone to um, Brentford on loan. Stuff like that. It's just... I, I don't really understand what their whole philosophy is at the moment. And I don't know where they're getting the money from. So I'm hoping they go down and we never see them again, personally. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, the only one I did see back on that Cannon one, never even heard of him. And they got seven odd million for him, didn't they? Something like that. Was it Leicester he's gone to? Yeah, he played for Preston on loan last season. He did quite well in championship. So he's all right at that standard. But still a lot of money um, for a championship seems to be splashing out. Right. Um, yeah, I've never heard of him myself, so I've got a verse of that canon. I did uh, notice that one. A um, couple of other uh, ones um, just uh, before we finish off then. So we've got Gabriel Vega. Again, another really highly rated Spanish centre mid. who has been linked with a load of teams in Spain and with us, uh, certainly for one point in, uh, for a period. Another one of these ones that surprised given his age and promise. Where's he ended up? Fucking Saudi Arabia. So he's ended up with Al Ali. Um, but that's a really strange one because I think he might be, out of all the players we've talked about, you know, you've got your people like Neves, we've said, who are in the prime of their career. This kid's 19 and he's gone there. So, I mean, he's still got plenty of time to get 
fucking hundreds of millions of pounds in the bank from the wages he's paying and in three years fuck off back to Spain or a, a bigger move. But yeah, was really highly rated uh, and I think ended up signing for a, something in the region of about 35 mil. But um, Celta Vigo, uh, yeah, Celta Vigo. Uh, one I was really surprised at and a really shrewd piece of business, I thought this one, is um, Benucci. So obviously been one of the greatest defenders of the current era, uh, gone on a free from Juve to Union Berlin in Germany. So I like their transfer business this season at Union Berlin. And they, they were obviously very, very good last season to get into the Champions League. And their philosophy and their playing style is, is very impressive. But they seem to be going about it the absolutely best way possible in this transfer window by picking up all these clever buys. They've obviously taken so Aronson's. And Goosens as well. Goosens is a really good player. Had a really good period in Atalanta. I think it was before it didn't quite work out for him at Inter. But Benucci, I mean, if you want to talk about a man who, you know, knows how to fucking defend the art of defending, that motherfucker wrote the book on it. And if you're going into the Champions League for the first time, I can't think of someone with more experience that you would want in that position to, to guide the team. He's a natural leader absolutely fantastic signing on a on a free and uh, for, for them superb yeah uh, i'm just getting a notification just come through yao felix has gone to barca uh, it's a loan deal with no option so that's uh, an interesting one for them uh, apparently he turned around in an, an interview a couple of weeks ago saying i only want to join barcelona which is a strange thing to come out and say well, a few weeks ago, when or a week or so ago when we there was this the link these salary links started to to come out that was who Liverpool were linked with is his replacement with Yao Felix. And I thought to myself, fuck that. We can't nah. lose Mo and what we've done for what the, how dog shit he looked for Chelsea. That would have been so underwhelming as a Liverpool fan if that had happened. So actually good. I'm glad he's gone somewhere else that we can't get him because he was completely underwhelming for Chelsea last season for me. Yeah, it didn't impress at all. And I think it was quite a big chance for him to impress on a bigger stage for Chelsea. Um, Sangare has just arrived in Nottingham to complete his medical with Forrest. So oh, that's a good, I'll tell you what, Forrest really are doing good. some good business. That that I, 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 I'll be honest, I was really I would have really been happy to have Sangari ask for a defensive mid. I think he's hugely underrated and does a fantastic job. Um, that's a really good signing. Really good signing. Yeah. They've I'm, got I'm Murillo, I saw, who is a really highly rated Brazilian centre back. They've um, they've been making some good business. The crazy one, I think, on the outgoing side of that one, I don't know if this is going to go through in time, aren't Spurs about to pay some ridiculous amount of money for that clown Welsh winger of theirs? Uh, 50 million, Brennan Johnson. Ridiculous. 50 million. Fucking ridiculous. He's a, I've, I've never, I've watched him. I'm like, oh, I'll tell you who he reminds me of. And this is saying something. He's a shit Dan James. Whoa. All he can do is slander. run quickly. Don't slander that's, DJ. That's, is that is classic. bad. That's how bad he is. He's literally nothing but a speed merchant and he's shit. 50 million is outrageously good business for Forrest on that one. Yeah, it's it's a lot of money to be spending. He's a good player, don't you know? I, I don't think he's anywhere near as bad as you're making out. You obviously hate Harrison. So that's one that I think we're going to compare to. I know, uh, let's lose right. Harry Kane, the second biggest <laughs> goal scorer in Premier League history and replace him with some Welsh bullshit uh, speed merchant. Yeah, that's not a good sign-in for me for that, and doesn't give the right message to the Spurs fans for me personally. It's a lot of money, but if you're going down the route of getting who Ange wants, if he's turned around and said, 
that's who I want, then fair play to, to the club and to Levy for going out again. Now, we don't know that, do we? It's just speculation. Is he better, though, if he, depending which which sort of way they're going to play? Is he better than Son or Kulilevsky? Can you see him getting the team over either of those? Not even close to them, if you ask me. Agree. But I think they'll put him in if they're spending fifty million on it. <laughs> I think he doesn't have a choice. Well, but, I mean, what did play a false nine? Play Son as a false nine, maybe, and yeah. put on one side. Um, but yeah, I just I did see that one. Uh, the only other couple of ones I've got another super impressive one for Brighton is Fatty Ansu Fatty. So a couple of years ago, this guy was heralded as the new Messi. Actually, broke Messi's record as the youngest player ever to play for Barca at sixteen. Um, doesn't seem to have quite ever hit the heights he was supposed to through a combination of uh, injuries, mainly, and lack of playing time. But um, he's joined on loan. Don't think there is an option to buy. I think it's a straight loan. But um, given the way that Brighton are playing and we were talking about how well they are playing, be interesting to see if he actually gets in the team. But um, that he he came out and said that Deserby and the way that he plays and brings players on is, is a big factor. But having a, an on-form fatty and uh, Matoma as your two wingers alongside a central striker, that's quite a frightening prospect in the Premier League. We had uh, an out-of-form fatty playing for Leeds last season. His name was Weston McKenney, and he were absolutely <laughs> garbage. Uh, no, it's, it's a really good sign, is that. It's one of those that comes out of nowhere, isn't it? And a lot of people will turn around and take the pace and say, oh, it's a little Brighton, but Little old Brighton seems to be making fantastic waves in the transfer window and are constantly getting better. And under Deserby, the sky's the limit for him. He's an absolutely fantastic player. And they're in player. Europe. Yeah, exactly. you know what I mean, again, it's not so he's, he's getting European experience. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's uh, that goes down for me, depending obviously on, on what fatty we get, because I've seen him a few times where he does offers absolutely no contribution at all. I've seen other games where he's absolutely amazing. So again, very much a confidence player and very inconsistent at the moment. But if Deserby can get the best out of him, he could be one of the signings of the season. Um, And then the final one, I suppose I've got, unless you've got any others to discuss, um, is Amrabat to Man U. Yeah, it's one that has been long rumoured, hasn't it? I think it was between yourself and Man U, apparently Liverpool and Man U. Uh, apparently, whether Liverpool were really strongly interested or not. You never know these days, do you? Because it's all paper talk. But it was rumoured all the way through the summer that he would end up at one of those two teams. And obviously, he's ended up at, at Man U. And I think it's a good signing for him. I think it is a very good signing. Agree. I mean, he's probably going to be back up to Casemiro. What I don't understand on this one, this is a loan. And I think I saw something like the loan fee was like 1.7 million. I've got to be honest with you. I would have much preferred Amrabat than Endo. One, he's yeah. younger. Two, I was super impressed with him. He's one of the best players at the, the World Cup. If you can get him on loan for for one one point seven mil, even with an option to buy, I would have taken that over Endo any day of the week. So I'm slightly disappointed with Liverpool on that one. That for some reason they didn't follow that one through. But I can't help but feel that some of that is obviously our new sporting director is German uh, and kind of has gone with what he knows, which is players in the Bundesliga. Uh, you know, grab them back, spending- Endo. Spending time at Disneyland and forgetting to uh, go in for players and missing their Before release their clauses. release clauses because he's so uh, on the ball. Um, it's on Splash but... Mountain. The only uh, other that, that's I've got person. one more for you because it's literally just come through. Cola uh, Moani to PSG. So there's another one that's been long rumoured for a few weeks. That's uh, interesting. How much? Eighty mil? They were rumouring ninety mil. 
Um, wow. It's euros. It's 75 million euros up front and uh, 15 million in add-ons. Five-year deal, um, and he has just passed his medical, so that will go through before the end of the day. But it's a good signing for them. I like it. It's a lot of money, but I think it's a good signing. Really good signing, and it's another one of those that, I mean, uh, uh, Frankfurt were doing really well. I don't think they've bought anyone, and again, they're now in that position that they've got three or four hours to try and scramble to see if they can get some kind of fill-in striker. But yeah, that, that's that's very interesting one. I also saw earlier in the day, I forget the guy's name, uh, they signed the young French winger from Lyon, didn't they? They did. You know, um, uh, do you know the guy I'm talking about? I forget his yeah. name. but I forgot his name because the, the rumours were that Leon were going to use the money because it was about 50 million, weren't it? They were going to use that money to come in for Jorginho Ruter, funnily enough, which thankfully has never transpired. Uh, yeah, but he, he's really... I'm sure, sure his name begins with B and I'm going to have a quick look now just to see if I can see it. But again, he's one that is um, very um, impressive. Only another one I'll, I'll quickly say, because this is a bit of a surprise one for me. Um, Irvin Lozano, if you remember it from Napoli, very, very good uh, Mexican winger speed merchant, has apparently re-signed for PSV Eindhoven from Napoli. So that's a great sign-in for PSV to get him back when he was a very good player and had done incredibly well um, when he was... Um, you know, uh, where he was. So um, fair play to them. He was doing well at Napoli. I think he couldn't, I think he was ultimately kept out of the, the team by Cravadonna. And I think Cravadonna's yeah. um, sort of blowing up and, and form and un, clearly undroppable form has meant he's lost minutes. So he's gone back to PSV, but that's a very good last minute signing from PSV. But no more transfers uh, from, from me. No, um it's probably worth talking about the Champions League draw because that happened uh, last night. Uh, who did you get? Fucking couldn't even tell you. I wasn't paying attention. You sent it to me uh, in with the Euro conference. I didn't. I'm going to say the joke being you got no one because I wasn't even League. paying attention. I was like, I don't care. I'm not going to watch any of those games. I will, but I couldn't give a fuck. But um, if we quickly run through then the draw, uh, Group A. You got Bayern Munich, Manu, Copenhagen, Galatasaray. Come so, on, Copenhagen. I hate every you, single one of those teams apart from Copenhagen. So you'd have to say that you'd if you were a Manu fan, you'd probably fancy yourself there. Galatasaray, though, have made some pretty shrewd signings. They've got Dries Martins, they've got a Cardi banging him up front. There's rumours they might get Nombele on, uh, on the last day of the season. So Zahar as well, aren't they? Uh, they have so um, you know they 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 could be more of a factor than people think. Group B, I feel like Arsenal have done pretty well. They've got Sevilla, Arsenal, PSV, Lens. Um, that's a, again PSV are strengthened, but you quite fan- you definitely fancy yourself if you're Arsenal there. Definitely. Group yeah. C is is one of the what I would call on paper maybe one of the tougher groups. Napoli, Real Madrid, Braga, who have started the season really well. And Union Berlin, both of those teams could be surprise packages and cause the other two more established teams some trouble. Uh, Group D, Benfica, Inter Milan, Salzburg, Sociedad, kind of a pretty even Stephen group. You know, again, you probably Inter Milan, they made it through to the final last year. They'd they'd fancy themselves, I'm sure, with Benfica to go through there. Group E, Fire Noid, um, Atletico Madrid, Lazio and Celtic. 
So bye not bye, the Celtic. worst group. Not the worst group for Celtic, to be fair. F is the group we talked about. So coming on to it for Newcastle, Paris Saint-Germain, Borussia Dortmund, AC Milan and Newcastle. So three three very good teams, but on the travelling front, that's pretty good for them in that you're talking France, Germany and Italy. So they've got no horrendous flights to Eastern Europe or miles away. So that could help them. Um, we know... Paris Saint-Germain are hit and miss. AC Milan are hit and miss. You know, you wouldn't entirely rule them out of qualifying, although you would say it's not a good draw from. Uh, Group G, fucking City get it easy every fucking time, don't they? It's becoming a bit of a joke. Uh, City, Leipzig, Red Star, Belgrade, and your probably favourite team, I would have thought, Young Boys, uh, the Swiss team. (laughs) What does that mean? You know what it means. (laughs) <laughs> um, group H, final group. We've got Barcelona, FC Porto, Shakhtar Donetsk and Royal Antwerp. So again, Barca have struggled in recent years, but surely even they would fancy himself to go through uh, in that group. They'd have to do. If they don't go through that, I mean, A, it'd be very funny, but B, they need to take a long eye look at themselves because Porto's the only... I get that Shakhtar Donetsk get a lot of slack and they're not anywhere near as bad as they're, they're made out to be, but Barca need to be beating just about every... I mean, that's all of the, the three teams in that. Porto will be an harder game, but you'd still expect... I mean, you'd win. expect, really, if Barca are doing properly, that's like a 12-pointer, a isn't it? Win every yeah. game, you know, 10 points, you know, every win in a draw or whatever. But, um, yeah, you would certainly back Barca, even though they've struggled to get... I think, is it last two years they've not got through the group stages? Something like that? Yeah. Uh, so, um, but you would think that they would put that right this year. Um, anything else on football for you from me? Uh, that's it from me. You know, so you don't want to talk about your Europa League draw and talk about how excited you are for your team. Couldn't you know you're playing. I literally didn't even know. I, didn't, I, I paid no interest to it deliberately until you sent me who we had in the team. I didn't, didn't even want to know. I couldn't care. I literally you've can't got, care. You've got to be absolutely destroying that group though aren't you what is it union sg toulouse and lask so there's oh, no yeah. we should it... easily cruise through no problem but of course we're gonna there's we're gonna play a, a absolutely hugely reduced team in every like second string team in every single one of those games i'd be shocked if more Why? than three of our uh you know proper team play in any of those games why out of curiosity because if you win it it's champions league qualification because we can get away with playing our kids to beat those teams. They're... Oh, don't always work like that. You've got to play McAllister against Lask, though, haven't you? Uh, what, because his brother plays for him? They've just signed his brother, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, did, I did know that they'd signed his brother, so you'd think he might be... Uh, and his brother's a defender as well, so uh, they could kind of have a bit of a rivalry there. But yeah, we should steamroll that group, even putting out a pretty second-string team. Let's just uh, remember these words. He's going to steamroll the group. So when you're out, having won one game and lost all the rest. One hour, 30.55 for those (laughs) who want to record it and play it back to me when we've got fucking uh, nine wins out of nine or six wins out of six, uh, we will steamroll it. Thoughts immediately, Ian. Was it a low blow or was it not a low blow? 100% a low blow. Don't actually see any of the controversy, if I'm honest. Uh, as I say, I'd sent you a picture in the notes. 
there's different angles of it. It's it's a dick shot. It's below. It's, it's uh, uh, his whole fist is below the trunks, which is the belt. Is it's class shot below the belt? That's where it comes from in terms of the person's trunks. Uh, 100% a low blow, no controversy whatever for me whatsoever. Found it quite funny that Frank Warren came out and said, we're going to be appealing this decision. It's a travesty, despite the fact that obviously he got absolutely paggered for the rest of the fight. It was just that one clear low blow. If it is a knockdown or it gets counted as a knockdown, Usyk gets up in 10 seconds and he will get up far quicker. It's not as though he would have stayed down that length of time if he hadn't have been given that length of time. Um, and also, while all this is all going on, and he's saying we want to get this result overturned, we want it to go down as a no contest, we want a rematch, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, he's also saying that they're in talks to make Fury Usyk. We can't have it both ways. For, for, for me, I mean, the fact that... Are you trying to suggest that Dubois hit him with such a powerful body shot that he needed five minutes to recover? Exactly. Like, that, it's Nonsense, ridiculous. isn't it? It's just, it's just bollocks. It's clearly the low blow. Don't see any controversy. Uh, Usyk deserved the time to recover because it was a clear dick shot. Now, it could have been lower, if we're being perfectly honest. It definitely like isn't, like you know, on your bell end, but it's definitely catching the top um, of your piece. So, low blow for me, no controversy. And as you say, he got absolutely demolished for the rest of the fight. Um, just had that one moment. So, um He'd be very, very lucky to get a rematch. From that, if if they end up ruling that he gets a rematch, then I think Usyk comes out with even more fire and destroys him. To be perfectly fair to him, he actually lasted longer than both of us said, didn't he? We called it sort of five and six, I think. And was it was it the ninth, eighth, or ninth? He actually finished him in. So in some ways, to Dubois, fair play, uh, he lasted longer than we gave him credit for, but. no change in the result for me. And if Usyk had a bit more fire in his belly um, because he has to have a rematch with him because of that, I think he smashes him. Yeah, agreed. And I don't think there's any... No one wants to see it again. I didn't want to see it in the first place. It just felt like a, a mandatory nonsense. And I don't think the regular belt exists anymore. Has the regular belt gone uh, for the WBA? Didn't they like, have these stupid... They've got the super champion bell and the, the regular bell. Silver. Was it them that's got the silver as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All this nonsense. nonsense. But um, We've got this weekend uh, a fight that I'm actually a little bit looking forward to for once. Uh, it's Eubank Jr. and Liam Smith. So they're finally renewing their hostilities this weekend in a rematch of the, the grudge match from earlier this year. Obviously, they went head-to-head in Manchester uh, earlier in, I think it was January, which shows how quickly this year is going. It's absolutely ridiculous. Ended in the fourth round. Uh, Smith dropped Eubank Jr. twice and inflicted his first career stoppage. We obviously discussed that quite in detail. I still think there's an elbow, and I've gone back and watched it again. I'm still certain the elbows him, and that's why he gets the massive lump on his head. Do you see it going the same way? Because I think I backed, I think we both might have backed, but I definitely backed Eubank Jr. to win it on points. I'm not sure if you backed Smith or you backed Junior. I think you'd agree with me, but do you see it going the same way as it did last time? Or I do actually. Having seen the fight and how it went, I think there's been a bit of chatter between me and the lads on this one uh, this week, and a few of my mates are coming out and thinking that um, we're going to see, you know, uh, a reinvigorated and a new Eubank in terms of wanting to come out and, and smash him. I got to be honest; I think it goes the same way. I'm going to I'm going to call it that it's Liam Smith win again. I think Liam Smith handled him very well the first time. I do don't necessarily disagree that I think the elbow had 
some impact in terms of how that fight went. I don't think it it was that that caused the full uh, result to be as it was, but I certainly think it influenced and, and made a, uh, had a contribution to how things finished. But um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stick my neck on the line and say Liam Smith does him again. I think, uh, and I don't know how much you, you've had a look about um, Eubank Jr.'s preparation and how he's looked in. Uh, so the gloves are off. I was on with regards to this fight. I always like watching those. Uh, he's changed his trainer, hasn't he? So it's a late change of trainer. He's no longer with Roy Jones Jr. He's with Brian McIntyre, obviously from Terrence Crawford's team. So either it's going to look to be an absolute masterstroke or it's essentially a sign of someone who isn't in the right frame of mind, can't prepare properly, and then has just panicked and decided to get a new trainer very last minute. Um, I think this goes to a stoppage victory for Eubank Jr. this time. I don't think it goes to points. I think Eubank Jr. takes him out. I don't think he he knocks him out, and it's not going to be anywhere near as brutal as the Liam Smith knockout was. But I think he wears him down, and he'll take him out in the 10th. I'm going to go Smith points, I think, as you say. I do think the elbow had had a part to play in the stoppage. I'm not quite sure if that hadn't have happened if Smith wouldn't have... Beat, uh, uh, knocked him out, but I do definitely personally think Smith is the better boxer when we're out boxing. So I'm going to go Smith on points. Um, one quick point before, or two quick points on, on boxing for me, I'll say before I forget, did you see this uh, week or today I read, in fact, sadly it had been shot down the, the build-up of uh, Crawford going up to fight um, Canelo, uh, Errol Spence has triggered the rematch clause. Rematch clause. Why? Why on earth? I get. Well, sorry, I get why because it's money, isn't it? But he's going to get absolutely pagged again. The, it was such a mismatch in class. It, d- terrible decision. Uh, I think it's money purely based that he's going to get. So again, I can't believe that. But boxers, you, you know, if you, you're in the wrong game, if you don't think I'm the best in the world, and actually with a change of strategy, with a change of this, I can beat someone. I think you're not. You can't really be a top level boxer with a, any athlete with a mindset of, now nah, I never beat him. We can sit here back and we can say that, that we'll, no one's going to beat Crawford uh, that way forever. You know, Crawford would have as good a chance to beat Mayweather if yeah. anyone I've seen box in, that you know, my, my 35 years of work watching boxing is such an underrated fighter. It's incredible. And watching him talk on Joe Rogan recently was really interesting to get an insight to his mind. Don't give a fuck about smack talk, but he's chasing greatness. And that's why he wants to go up and fight Canelo. The only reason uh, 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 he's interested in that is he could become the first person ever to be undisputed at three weights. And that's what he's chasing. He's like, that would be history. Um, The only thing I'd say, Crawford's probably going to be silently or very secretly happy about this rematch clause being triggered because A, it's another big payday for him, isn't it? But B, it's basically like saying, here's a test that you know you're going to pass. I'm going to give you some money to do it. It's like, yeah, not a problem. I'll just spark this loser out again. Yeah, I agree, but it, it delays. He's not getting any younger. He actually said on Rogan, he'd always said he would retire at 33. That was always his plan. He's now 34. And he's, you know, he never got quite got the big fight, as he said, you know, the big pay-per-view with the big money, which is why he carried on. So, you know, he fights uh, Spence again. That's probably going to be in another six months. That delays then, you know, the chance of him fighting 
um, you know, Canelo or, or, or whatever. So I don't know how much longer he'd want to go on because he seemed one of those, again, pretty certain in his mind that he wasn't going to be boxing forever and he wanted to stop at the top with all his faculties. But the only other one I was going to mention, because I watched a few of these and actually, funnily enough, I watched these with my missus because I didn't think she'd be interested, but she was. Have you seen any of the uh, the Furies at Home oh, on Christ, Netflix? No. It keeps getting up. Every time I put on Netflix, it's the first thing that pops up. I can't imagine how worse. Mate, he is a fucking lunatic. Now, I knew, I knew obviously, it's well published that uh, he's had his battles and his demons with mental health. One thing I didn't know is that he's bipolar. I didn't know if you know this, that I didn't know if this was common knowledge, but he's actually bipolar. Um, and there's just some bits on there that they show that just paint him in this horrendously selfish, crazy light that like, there's a bit where he's at his kid's birthday party and he's having this big birthday party for his kid. They've got all these ball pits and fucking sweet things and things like that. And he just gets to a bit after about an hour and he's like, I'm fucking bored of this. I'm going home. And his missus is like, this is your kid's birthday. What are you, ta- you can't do that. What are you talking about? And he's just like, nah, I'm going home. I'm taking the dog for a walk. And he just fucks off. And it, it, honestly, like how his wife has put up with him and, and she, you know, she's quite honest and open about he's very hard to deal with. She knows when he's depressed and when he's up and when he's down. And sometimes you just need to leave him, sometimes not. But yeah, he clearly is a man with a lot of demons that it comes across. Um, uh, it's, 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 it's it's an OK watch, to be fair. If you get a bit of chance and you're, you're bored, you know, um, sling a bit on because it does give you a bit of an insight into his mindset. But yeah, man's a lunatic. Does he eat any hedgehogs in it? Uh, he doesn't actually, which I was disappointed with. But he does at one point. His wife is uh, goes down on a talk show. So she's invited to this talk show. So she goes down to the talk show. Uh, I think they've got five kids. Is it Jeremy Kyle? Ridic- uh, loose women. Uh, <laughs> all ridiculous names like Venezuela, Adonis. All these ridiculous <laughs> names for kids. Typical gypsies. And... Um, she goes down there to London for the day and she's driving back and she's the camera's there and she's like, what I'd like would be a really nice evening where I get back, Tyson's there, Tyson's in a good mood, he's put all the kids to bed and we can have a really nice time together. Um, This is on like a school day, by the way. What does Tyson do? He decides they're going to go caravanning, not gypsy-esque at all, and he just packs all his kids up, throws them in a caravan and drives off down the road to a caravan site. And she gets back home and she rings him and she's like, where are you? And he's like, I'm just down the road in the caravan site with the kids. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? They've got school tomorrow. And he's like, what? You know, I'm a gypsy. I love caravanning. We're just out having fun with, you know, hanging out in the field in the caravan. And she's just like, the fuck are you doing? They've got, I've got, we've got to take him to school tomorrow. But Honestly, mate, it, it, for laughs, you've got to have a watch. It, it comes across where it puts into context some of these silly videos that he does, and it shows you doing him doing some of them. You know, when he's in his room, you fucking silly himself. sausage. It shows yeah. you him filming <laughs> some of those, and mate, he, he's he's a lunatic. He's a lunatic. I mean, I, I still won't be watching it. I can't stand him. I feel like if I end up watching something like that, and well, is Tommy Fury in it? Uh, like he's like he is, but like it's mainly based on the fear on 
the Furies. The main family. And then yeah. very, like maybe, if it, I think, say each episode is 40 minutes. For like five minutes each episode, they might show Tommy Fury and his bird. Um, they pop into it for a little bit, but um, they're not. I feel not... like I couldn't watch them either. They oh, they're super annoying. Like she, she, I, yeah, I can't say I'd punch her in the face because she's a woman. I'd never condone violence <laughs> to a woman, but Jesus. I cannot stand that Molly May. She is a absolute moron. Do you know where she came from? Uh, no. Love Island. So that's how they. Oh met. yeah, that's how they met. Yeah, sorry, I did, yeah. I did know that, but um, yeah, she's a complete and utter moron. So is he. Um, but they, yeah, they make I wouldn't say you know kind of cameo appearances in it uh, a little bit, but um, yeah, they are in it, but um, not. I'll put it on the list enough. of things not never to watch. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I was more interested in getting some a couple of my mates had said about it and said, you know, it gives you a bit of an insight into Tyson generally. Um, and obviously, I, before all of this nonsense with Usyk and clearly dodging him, uh, I love Tyson. I was a big fan. So I was quite interested in getting a bit of a an insight into his mind. But yeah, he, lunatic is putting it mildly. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Um, well, I think that's it for, for this week. Uh, an hour and 45 minutes. Jesus. If someone's made it to the end of this, I feel like we should reward them with some extra. It feels like what my missus said the other night. That's a big one. I don't think so. <laughs> That's a long one. Did she say it as you're walking through the door? And you can <laughs> hear it from upstairs. Um, um, right. Anyway, thanks very much for listening as always. And we'll speak to you next week. <laughs>